This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello, how are you? This is the Africa Climate Conversations podcast, Karibu Sana, a weekly podcast dedicated to bridging climate communication gaps in Africa. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. Today on Air Pollution Series, we talk about the interlinkages between development and air pollution. Our guest is Dr. Alice Kaundia, a former Environment Secretary at the Ministry of Environment and Natural Resources in Kenya. Dr. Kaundia, the former International Union for Conservation of Nature Eastern African Region Director, has vast global experience in environment and natural resources management, having formerly co-chaired the Climate and Clean Air Coalition, the Global Green Group, Growth Knowledge Platform and served as the World Resources Forum board member. She's currently an independent consultant on Africa's climate change and air pollution. Dr. Kaundia, thank you so much for joining us today. Great. Thank you. All right. Fantastic. So there is a report last year that was actually released by UN Environment on air pollution and development in Africa. And as we know, cities in Africa and more so um, sub-Saharan Africa are growing and very fast growing. Um, I just wanted to introduce the interlinkages between development and air pollution. How do they both relate? Let me start off by saying that air pollution is the single most devastating environmental disaster that we have because it impacts on human health. And you see, for development to take place, we need healthy, productive people. Mm. And if we don't have quality air to breathe, and this has been clearly demonstrated by the impact of COVID-19, where we were all grappling to get medical oxygen. For once, I got to understand what medical oxygen is. Mm. And therefore, if we breathe in polluted air, then the capability or ability of people to engage to work productively and therefore contribute to development is very constrained and uh, it's important that we acknowledge that development requires that our environment is clean our air uh, and our air is clean Mm. the other side of it is that as we develop and depending on the pathway that we take Mm-hmm. We are actually polluting. Air pollution is a human is created by people, although we have natural uh, pollution from dust storms and so on. Mm-hmm. But invariably, emission of gases is coming from development activities, industries, transport, food production, waste management, and so on. Great. And, and when we look into like in terms of contribution to disease, air pollution. Can you talk about Sub-Saharan Africa and North, probably separately, looking into how air pollution is contributing to uh, diseases and death in the continent? I think uh, the reports we have made reference to of, uh, by UNEP on uh, air pollution and uh, development and its impact on human health is very informative. And uh, we find that, for example, uh, another report says that 1.9 million people died out of air pollution in 2019. Often we have a particular reference here because uh, getting time series data, long-term data is, is, is quite a challenge. Yeah. And we find that I like the idea that we brought on board that we separate conversation regarding Northern Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa yeah. differently because geographically, these are very different regions. And I think our geography and our economic 
capabilities are also different. As we proceed with this conversation on air pollution and development, it's important that we distinguish between ambient air pollution, that is the, 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 the external environment, uh, where we are exposed to emissions from sources which are external to our dwellings, mm. and household air pollution, whereby our exposure within the household um, affects how our life. And we find that reports by World Health Organization and also these ones by the UNEP and so on. There are many reports that have come up recently, but this 2021 report by UNEP uh, on air pollution and development, as well as the report on uh, of 2021 on actions taken by governments mm -hmm. to prevent and curb air pollution as required by uh, decisions by United Nations Environment Assembly. Both of these reports have been published in 2021. Yeah. And both of them, of them indicate the gravity of our failure to take action to curb air pollution on human health, uh, from you know chronic bronchitis to cancers to skin diseases. Uh, I was just reading a, a report about the impact of open burning mm. of waste, and it is indicating that children and people who inhabit dump sites in uh, around the dump sites in Africa. Mm -hmm. are gravely affected by air pollution because of this open burning. Yeah. So let us sum up the geographical difference between the Northern Africa and the, the Sub-Saharan Africa. Mm -hmm. In Northern Africa, we find that the main source of air pollution is actually natural sources, dust storms, mm -hmm. because the, the, the small particles, uh, which we call PM2.5, emanating from such storms are, are breathed in and this pollutes the air. The other source uh, we find is industrialization, uh, mainly driven by use of fossil fuels, uh, production of petrol, and, uh, and, and industrial plants, because there's a lot of, of uh, industrialization in the, no the northern Africa, yeah. which is more aligned to the Middle East in terms of geographical structure and resource endowment. Mm. It has got these three major sources of pollution, that is dust storms, uh, fossil fuels and petroleum plants, and then household air pollution, uh, it's not as bad because we have managed to transition to cleaner fuel compared to the sub-Saharan Africa. But again, we find that in the northern part of uh, Africa, the use of private vehicles is, is much more preferred than, uh, than, than, than in our, uh, is affordable actually, because of their economic power. So that also contributes to uh, amb uh, ambient air pollution. But when we come to Sub-Saharan Africa, mm -hmm. uh, there's a mix of so many <laughs> factors that are contributing to air pollution. Mm -hmm. And we find that uh, air pollution in this part of the world uh, is, is worsened by, would I say, urbanization, the emergence of cities. Mm -hmm. Many people are still migrating from rural to urban areas in search of employment. Yeah. As population in cities grow, so is the growth of the need for products and services. And therefore, you find that uh, emissions from, you know, transport sector, emissions from uh, use of poor quality fuels, you know, over 80% of houses in sub-Saharan Africa still depend on solid fuel as the major source of cooking uh, energy and this is used on very inefficient cookstoves. Mm -hmm. So you find that both 
ambient air pollution and indoor air pollution is more grave in Saharan Africa compared to the northern part. Mm -hmm. And in this part uh, of Africa, again, we find that industrialization, the transport sector, most of our vehicles are old, although we find that it's important for many countries now have got uh, rules uh, regarding the age of vehicles to be important, but still we find that most of the vehicles in our sub-Saharan Africa region are old, mm. are inefficient, very high emitters, driven on poor road with heavy congestion, and that is a major source of, uh, of, of pollution. So mm. is poor solid waste management. I mean, in our cities, you find that uh, 19 out of 50 mega dump sites in the world are found in Africa. And particularly sub-Saharan Africa. So poor solid waste management is a major source of pollution in this part of the world. And so is household energy. When we look at uh, urban uh, informal settlements in major cities, Lagos, Addis Ababa, Nairobi, Dakar, Kinshasa, these major mega cities in Africa, mm -hmm. the quality of wells used for household cooking and even lighting and heating are major sources of emission of uh, black carbon and mm. this really affects uh, disproportionately affects women and and children compared to men mm. and even when you look at the agriculture sector in sub-saharan africa open burning is still widely practiced mm -hmm. uh, be it burning of solid waste or burning of agricultural waste in the fields and whereas we know from science that this affects the quality of air many communities still do this and the sad thing is air pollution is a transboundary international challenge because Absolutely. i could be burning my waste in in kenya mm -hmm. and let's say i'm in sirare mm -hmm. i'm burning my waste but it will go to tanzania mm. you know mm. the, the pollution will transcend the geographical boundaries of a country and mm. and, and therefore we need to appreciate this challenge of air pollution from the point of view of uh, you know the development pathway that is taken but let me also uh, encourage ourselves also that it is not all gloom mm. because when you look at the literature on actions taken by governments mm -hmm. there's been a concerted but moderate effort to curb uh, air pollution and this is arising from global commitments like uh, you know the paris agreement mm -hmm. the african ministerial conference on environment process the United Nations Environment Assembly decisions on, you know, uh, preventing and curbing air pollution. All these global and regional efforts are actually informing countries to undertake national actions to curb mm. air pollution. What worries me with that is that it's very progressive. But then again, when we look into our countries, for example, if I look into Kenya itself, it's not that we haven't had uh, very good policies in different quarters. But in most cases, we found that it's the implementation of that. We've been talking about the Dandora Dam site for so long now. It's still the largest open, you know, dumping site that we actually have. There's a lot of burning that goes on. There's a lot of emissions that is actually emitted from there. But the problem is in terms of taking actions, because I find like we craft very good policies, then we put them in shelves, you know, and then the problems keeps happening. How do we, you've worked with government previously. Why is it the implementation of this policies becomes very, very difficult. Wow, you have put me to the exam, eh? Because <laughs> <laughs> as the Environment Secretary, and I'm one of the people who was responsible for 
formulating Kenya's environment policy, which of course I left there to be implemented. Yeah. But you see, what I find is a challenge with regards to implementation of these policies is that uh, we have weak governance and institutional structures. Mm. We, we talk very well at the global level. You know, at the global level, I can tell you, I see, I, I, I have had the privilege of functioning at very high level ministerial mm. negotiations mm. on environment and climate change issues and also being uh, right at the bottom of working in villages and countries and counties uh, in sub-Saharan Africa mm-hmm. to see how these policies are implemented. But one of the challenges is weak structures that permit the system up to the village and individual household level. Okay, yeah. The policies are good. Yeah. The action plans uh, are also very good, but mm-hmm. we don't provide finance to actually implement the policies, to monitor uh, implementation. And where there are regulations, the institutional structures to enforce the regulations are weak. Mm-hmm. You know, we always give this, I'll call it an excuse, not an explanation, mm-hmm. an excuse of lack of financial resources to implement the policies, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and it is not because we lack the financing. It is just our failure to mobilize internal financial resources across sectors because air pollution is a cross-sectoral challenge, you know? Mm-hmm. So mobilizing resources across sectors and across actors. Internally, mm-hmm. I'm very specific about internally, that is at the country level. Can a country bring all its sectors together and have a levy on air pollution to mobilize internal resources and use those resources Prudently, within a clearly defined governance structure that is very inclusive in terms of actors, so that we move from the high level discussions mm-hmm. to practical action at the village level. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yes, and that is very possible. Supposing, we, I mean, when I read uh, Africa Business Review and you see these highlights of billionaire Africa X, billionaire Africa Y, okay? Yeah. yeah. Why don't we ask them to put 5% of their absolute profits to manage environmental challenges like air pollution and use those resources prudently? Why don't we have an Africa Air Pollution Management Fund, maybe housed by the African Union, so that it, it is consolidated and then get to the respective member states so that they are able to take action at scale, at very large scale. What I see is that we are working at very, very small scale. Mm. The other challenge I find with implementation of policies is we are talking so much on enforcement instead of uh, enabling people to take action, okay? Mm. Compliance, you know? Mm-hmm. People can comply. You know, enforcement would require that you have got people, resources to, to, to police people and say you have, you have polluted the environment, you have... All the, of undertaken open banning, so this is the punitive measure that we will, uh, you know, uh, give to you for doing this. But compliance means I know that it is my mistake to litter. It is my mistake not to use resource-efficient systems as I consume so that I pollute less. Okay, mm. and therefore we have we need there's limited public education and awareness on the impact of breathing polluted air on human health. And I believe if people are informed on action that they should take at individual level to curb air pollution to be healthy, 
to have less polluted water resources, less polluted soils, less polluted environment, they will actually take action. And therefore governments and all interest groups in the air pollution, I would call it a value chain, uh, should therefore develop and implement public education programs, you know, at all levels, you know. Hmm. And the, the, the third challenge I find with the policy implementation is limited political and policy support. When I have worked in government, most of our policies have been because there has been donor X or donor Y who has supported formulation of the policy. Especially take the one in the, the, the system in Kenya, mm. where it must undergo public participation and consultation across all 47 counties and across all interest groups. Okay, yeah. very expensive. But I think what we need is the policy makers are informed on the impact of uh, air pollution on, on human health and the environment, mm. you know? Because, you see, politicians and legislators normally prioritize allocation of financial resources to programs that are considered to have high national development benefits, isn't it? Yeah, sure. Now, if that is the case, it is therefore necessary that we package science-based information on the, on the impact of air pollution on human health and development with a specific focus on politicians and policymakers, let us communicate to them in their language. Mm -hmm. And with compelling evidence, they should then be able to support programs on, on air pollution, assign budgets at ministry level. I mean, if we don't have internal resources assigned, we cannot go to bargain or negotiate with the external supporters or strategic partners to come and co-invest with us. So politicians and the political class should be well informed on the impact of air pollution on development. Mm. Yes. Alice, and Alice, when you mentioned politician, I'm actually thinking in terms of, you know, even at the African Union level, are we having too much of political leadership as compared to development-oriented leadership? Because both from country level and even the Africa Union level, because Africa Union has very good policies. Like, for example, in terms of when you're talking about scientific research and in countries directing for African countries that how much of money they should actually invest in development and research. One Is it 1% of the GDP? But then when you go to individual countries, very few countries are actually implementing that. I'm wondering whether in terms of Africa itself, do we... Do we probably need to really think in terms of the leadership that we have, both at country level and even at the Africa Union level? Are we lacking the leadership that this sub-Saharan Africa require for development? Uh, thank you. <laughs> My thought is different a little bit from yours because, okay, you're saying it's a question. We are not lacking leadership. Mm -hmm. We are not lacking leadership in the sense that uh, even at the at level of the African Union, mm -hmm. uh, we have the, there are clear structures that will enable us to work on air pollution matters. Mm. Um, we have the committee of uh, heads of state on climate change uh, at, at the summit level. Mm -hmm. We have the specialized technical committee at uh, the commission level. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think for the African Union, I have seen it make tremendous efforts to try and ensure that the member states uh, are focused on curbing air pollution. Let me give one example. You know, the Climate and Clean Air Coalition is pursuing this uh, continental scientific assessment on integrated air pollution and climate change. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> as an international entity, it will not have appropriate political entry if it does not work 
uh, in partnership with existing governance structures. And therefore, you find that in undertaking that assessment, actually, the African Union Commission is in the lead, serving in the advisory board, international advisory board of that process, uh, and has given space for a discussion and conversation on how we can tackle air pollution and climate change concurrently. Because they are, you know, there are two sides of same, the same coin, you know. We say air pollution leads to climate change, but climate change is also a human-induced activity. Therefore, the nexus of human action, emission of greenhouse gases and uh, these other short-lived climate pollutants like methane and black carbon and human consumption and production systems, these systems are in a nexus. And I find that uh, given that the African Union Commission has the necessary structures to inform policy and political decisions at the high le highest level, at the, the heads of state and government level, at the ministerial level, like the African Ministerial Conference on Environment, through the regional economic commissions, and then at the country level. Uh, those decisions which are made at that level are the ones that inform policies at the country level. Mm -hmm. So what I, my, my view is, it is up to respective countries to now translate those global and regional decisions into their internal country programs and strategies mm -hmm. and actions based on their own internal governance system. Look at Accra. Yeah. If they have a strong strategy for the greater Accra region, you know, yeah. to, to address uh, climate uh, issues and, and air pollution. Mm -hmm. But then when you look at, at the global level, because there's a lot of conversation and high-level discussions on climate change. Look at what happened at COP26. Mm -hmm. Everyone was there conversing. It was the, the BBC, all the media were on COP26. Yeah. You know, that kind of coverage provides uh, our triggers, very high-level conversation at a political scale that can actually make uh, lead to transformative decisions at the action level. Because then the globe is focused on, you know, climate threat is real. If we don't take action now, we are finished. If we don't move to net zero by 2050, we are finished, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, uh, COVID also informed us, air pollution is real. If we don't have quality air, we are dead. <laughs> you see? Mm -hmm. So uh, I think the leadership is there. What is really lacking is translating those policies into actions at the smallest level possible. Exactly. Uh, mm -hmm. Even at the village level, because even at the country level, it is still too broad. You know, tell me in your village who knows about air pollution. Mm. We don't have programs, even in radio, even in television, even through SMS alerts, or to say, prevent air pollution. Mm. Do not burn in the open. Do not, if you can, if you have to move from the country this point to that point, use mass rapid transport. I mean, if we had very clear transport systems in the cities, I can assure you, many people would not drive their own vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. If I know I have a train that I will pick from uh, Dandora mm. to CBD, mm -hmm. eh? Yeah, sure. Because I want to, I want to go and buy this from this shop, and it's going to close, and it says the train will leave at 8.30 and 8.30 it is there and then I drop and I do my business I will never own a vehicle just like I don't own one now mm. so 
<laughs> some of the consumption patterns that we have are not that people are going to because they like but because of circumstances going to the local because actually having conversations at the global level and the national level doesn't really mean there is action that is actually happening on the ground and i think that is the transformation that we need as we have these conversations globally and locally and even regionally and we have all these policies then we have to ensure that how are they implemented and i think working with local communities working with the local csos and government making sure that sectors are aligned that the ministry of held is working the minister of environment and minister of energy and you know whereby the the other different arms know what the other one is doing and actually project or programs that you can implement together locally and bringing this local people together because it's actually the communities who will actually be doing the burning it's actually the communities will be doing the slash and burn and cutting of forests and stuff like that you know you know what i always say Mm-hmm. leadership leadership is not just being at the top Le- leadership is there at all levels mm. you know mm. e- even in nursery school you will find a prefect right mm-hmm. that's a leader yeah so i totally agree with you that yes we need to have a system whereby we are able to translate this global regional national policies strategies and action plans into real action yeah. you know mm. And, and 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 it is not a statement of we need to the key, key thing is how do we mm. and so what if we do okay mm-hmm. the methodology that we use that requires governance structures that go into systems up to the village level yeah. can we have the village and and, and you as journal, environmental journalists you're very valuable people mm-hmm. can we have an environmental journalists working with ministries to 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 pick the, the 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 policies and rules and regulations and guidelines and repackage them mm-hmm. into communication materials that can be understood by local communities okay mm-hmm. and 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 uh, i think the approach that i i dream of and you know sometimes as a leader it's better if you dream and vision eh? yeah <laughs> what i dream of is a situation whereby mm-hmm. many people who have even served in government okay Yeah. They are very knowledgeable. They understand these policies. They have even engaged in formulating them like myself and then you retire mm-hmm. and then you say, "Hey, where do I take this knowledge? Oh, I, I can give an interview, I can talk. I, we give talks, I give talks, I converse, I do. but mm-hmm. there is no structure which goes and financed structure that goes up to village level. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think we need we also need incentive systems, you know? Mm-hmm. I was once doing a survey In, in one of the villages in Kenya to determine whether people can transition from solid uh, fuels charcoal and firewood to LPG gas you know mm. at that time the government had introduced a policy of subsidy on LPG gas just like the last mile connectivity is now having us transition from paraffin lighting to clean lighting okay yeah and for the many villagers and the women i interviewed they said oh, no 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 I'd rather still use my charcoal and the firewood because it is it is uh, less expensive compared to LPG gas mm. okay mm. then I presented data to them saying you have you are a family of six if you use a two burner gas cooker mm-hmm. combined with what we were calling a fireless cooker this is this basket where once you put tank to boiling point you put it in the basket to continue cooking cooking with that residual heat okay you will save so much money you will save so much time compared to going to look for firewood all the time and they were like really i didn't know 
and then you said and on top of that the government has actually provided a good policy to yeah. reduce the cost of lpg gas mm-hmm. they were not aware mm. unfortunately softly yeah in another six months the yeah. same government changed yeah. and the lpg gas now shot up okay exactly. mm-hmm. also need consistent long-term policies yeah sure mm. yeah not short term six months we are doing this one year we are doing that and then communities or end users consumers are not fully informed of these good policies and by the time they're informed and they want to practice then the policy has changed because we have to generate more revenue absolutely Yes. Alice, we have to end this conversation, but we cannot end this lovely conversation without understanding what is the solution. Because when you look at Sub-Saharan Africa and urbanization, projection of 13 megacities by 2100, and of course, Africa has the agenda 2063 that it looks into developing, you know, industrializing this continent. And that means um, rising in terms of air pollution. What's the way forward? I think, yes, we are going to have many of these megacities in Africa. And I really like the agenda 2063 aspiration mm. of uh, having a prosperous Africa with inclusive growth and sustainable development Absolutely. and having a goal of high standard of living, quality life and well-being for all citizens. I mean those are so impressive, mm. large and very encouraging statements. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. But what do we do? Exactly. We need to mobilize finance mm-hmm. to enable us access resource efficient technology to enable us support uh, research at the universities and at the industries mm-hmm. a partnership between industries and universities so that even as students learn they're able to you know apprentices you know something like that goes closely to competency based <laughs> training mm. so that the we mobilize resources to have enough money to invest in research technology acquisition and action at the ground level. Yeah. Number two, we need to have sound governance systems which are known to citizens, you know? Mm. If you want to you know, uh get information, we can have a portal which is on the on on the internet for access by all citizens, but then that will exclude villagers like myself. Yeah. So we need to have a system of communication transmission to the village level i will always refer to my reference of unit as household and village because that is where action can take place yeah. you know mm. then the industrial sector can be encouraged to move towards circular economy and resource efficient pathway of industrialization and i think this is happening because when we look at uh, the african union uh, green recovery strategy Mm-hmm. It, it is actually uh, aligning uh, all of us to work towards resource efficient circular economy kind of development that will ensure that we have good low emission and resilient uh, production and consumption systems and practices absolutely mm-hmm. yeah mm. and number three is uh, information 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 i've said information three times yeah let information be accessible mm-hmm. in time and in a form that can be understood by specific segments of our society okay mm-hmm. if i publish in a journal that is very good for the academia they will understand my language okay yeah but when i come to the policy makers i also need a policy oriented product 
So we need to strengthen the functions of environmental journalists so that they are able to help us package this information for different segments of the society. Sure. Being informed is being armed and being forewarned. So we really need to be active but with current information on air pollution. Yes. Please, and that's where I want us to actually end and then pick up the conversation next week in terms of how do we fund air pollution, like in different aspects, and also looking into how the challenges of funding on air pollution within the African continent and more so the sub-Saharan African continent. All right. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Alice. I sincerely appreciate you and your time. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Dr. Alice Kaundia, a former Environment Secretary at the Ministry of Environment and Natural Resources in Kenya, talked about the interlinkages between development and air pollution. Kindly remember you can listen to other podcast series by Africa Climate Conversations podcast available on Spotify, Apple, Google, and every other podcast channel you access your other podcast. We also have tons of materials available on www.africaclimateconversations.com. So please feel free to visit that particular website. Also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more. I hope to talk to you next week on Tuesday. But until then, Kwaheri, my name is Sophie Bokwa. Inaindeshwa na Afripods. <laughs>